But where is he? I had to yeah. rush up here, and he's not on the thing yet? He had the balls to tell me, hurry up. <laughs> balls, I tell you, this guy's got. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. There he is. Holy what shit! The the f- is wrong with him? No, he's waiting for a formal invitation, like he's the queen yeah, of f- yeah. England. You're goddamn right. I was. You, is that a bumble? Yeah. <laughs> See, I know my. Just get your gun and shoot that thing. <laughs> you have a gun. Yeah. I oh, that. merry, merry f- Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's how I feel. About it, you know, it, it feels like year after year we do a Christmas episode, and every year our inclination is to go to merry f- Christmas. Right. Yeah, I'm. I used to love Christmas. Now Christmas is just a giant. F- Pain in the ass. Hi, Dave. How's it going? Good. Dave man. is How a giant f- pain in the ass. I mean, yeah, Dave. How are you? <laughs> I was telling him before how now he knows what it's like when I had to get up at the crack of dawn for yep. 15 years recording those prisoner episodes. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like waterboarding. I'm turning. Yeah. My desktop volume up a little bit, but let me know if you get any echo or anything. I don't want it to echo in the recording, but you guys are very low. So now I'm getting it. I'm getting echo. You are? Yeah, I did just God. just before. God damn it! All right, turn it back down. Say something. Some. Say something. Say something. Now batting number twenty-three, three, 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 three. That's not bad. If I. Uh, if I just pay attention, then I can hear you okay. <laughs> see, pay prob- attention. That's, problem that's a is cool I, order. See, I, I, I want to crunch at the same time. That's that's the problem here, because I'm starving to death. Oh, hey, what, did you be- work all day? I did. You know, you, you better appreciate this shit, because I left work like a good 15 minutes early. It was busy as shit. I could have probably got another ride, but I left work early because I didn't want to be late. I'm foregoing any dinner to do this shit, so... Shit. Shit. <laughs> I'm offended. I'm done. We're not going to record. <laughs> so you better better be bringing your A game. That's all I know. I don't have an A game. If you don't know that by now, you got a problem. <laughs> Anyways, let's do this because I am a toy. I've been up since 530.
You and me both. Good morning. Good good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. Whenever you're listening to us, and Merry effing Christmas. <laughs> it is. It, it, this is this is coming out on December twenty third. Uh, so I hope you all appreciate that we we take time away from our families just to do this with you. I'm here. I'm Paul Spataro, and I'm here with the ever so jolly Scott. H. Gardner and the H is for ho ho ho. <laughs> only only he's talking about streetwalkers. And <laughs> David Pascarella. Talking about yep. your mom. Yippee oh, Kaye. <laughs> you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna even play that game because we we we've both lost our moms. Yes, no, no, I, no. I you know I didn't mean it personally. <laughs> I know you didn't. If, if I thought so, you did, I'd be I'd be heading down to Florida to kick your ass right now. <laughs> I don't. Did I post? I can't remember if I posted this on Facebook. I don't think I. I think I talked myself out of it. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you like like stupid jokes or like your mama jokes. I love stupid jokes. That's, I, I, I live heard, for stupid jokes. I heard a your mama joke last night, and I think it was made funnier because it was Siri telling the joke, which just somehow made it funnier to me. But the joke was, your mama's so fat, when Thanos snapped his fingers, she only lost some weight. <laughs> That's great. I love it. <laughs> okay. I, 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 yeah, you know, I, I heard a similar Thanos joke, and I can't remember exactly what it was, so I'm <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, but that that one's worth it. <laughs> anyway, so again, we 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 are all probably punch drunk right now because I know I'm tired, and these guys are just always tired yep. anyway. Yep. So uh, you know, and 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 we're we're here forcing ourselves. I think this is a night where we would have no, if we had a, a surplus of episodes. I think we would have said, you know what, let's just do this another night. But we don't. <laughs> so we're dedicated to you, our loyal listeners, and we're saying, I don't care how tired I am, we're doing a Christmas effing episode right now. Merry effing Christmas, everybody. <laughs> And you know what? It hasn't even been like a bad year. It really hasn't. But I can't say that I get filled with the Christmas spirit the way I did 10 years ago or 15 years ago. It's just, I don't know, there's something about it that doesn't have the same level of excitement that I used to have. And I don't know how you guys feel, but I'm kind of like, that's where I am right now. I think I need to be visited by three ghosts. I don't I I don't know. It's it's weird because I don't know. I'm I'm I've been trying to, you know, keep my spirits up. I've been trying to get into the spirit of the season, but for me personally, I mean, it, it's it this year has kicked my ass. I am just ready for 2023 to be over with. Hopefully next year will be better and um but you know it was it was you know I was thinking about this a lot on Thanksgiving actually because you know I, Logan came over and and brought his fiance over and everything and um you know of course my oldest boy um you know he lives out of state he lives back where we moved here from in Georgia but 
you know, if there's any bright side to all the shit that I've been through, and I don't want to get into all that, but, you know, long story short, um, you know, I lost both my parents this year in, in very short order, um, barely, you know, just a hair over six months apart. Um, both were quite unexpected. And so the year has frankly just kicked my ass. But, um, you know, if there is any bright side to that is that, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm finally on the road to reconciliation and, and healing and, and reconnecting with my oldest boy, which I don't think I've ever talked about this on the show. It's something I'd, I didn't really want out there, but um you know i love that boy he's he's my oldest he's he's so precious to my heart and um it was just nice to reconnect so while the year has really just done a number on me you know that's what i was thankful for at christmas time so i i've been trying to hold on to that and and carry that into christmas if you know what i mean to to just try to focus on the positives despite you know, the shitty hand I've been, I've been dealt this year, you know, just by life and everything, but yeah, it it has been, it's been rough. And so if I, if I just don't seem like I'm in the, the normal Christmas spirit and all, I apologize, but I'm doing, I'm doing the best I can, but I wanted so bad to, uh, I don't know. I, I never intended it to, you know, I, I never set out to do it, but it occurs to me listening back to some of our Christmas shows that I traditionally picked like a something kind of wacky and then just tried to run with it in a comedic sense. And I was really proud of the one that I did uh, with uh, with Santa and the couple of kids uh, breaking and entering into Disneyland a couple of years ago. That's I'm, pr- I'm very proud of that one. So I wanted to do something like that, but I just, I don't know, this year, I'm sorry, my heart just wasn't in it. I brought a story to this, but I mean, we might get a laugh or two out of it, but it's it's nothing on that level. I kind of took the the lazy easy route this year, so my apologies to the listeners if you're if you're looking for you know a, a real you know classic comedy who this probably ain't gonna be it. But sorry. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's. It's hard, like I said, I, I don't know. I'm having a tough time building up a lot of Christmas spirit, but I do enjoy the Christmas books. I mean, they, what we did today, just so everybody knows, I, I've been very busy, so I, I had to beg off bringing a book. I'm bookless, Paul, today. Uh, <laughs> S- Scott picked like a three-page uh, text story from a Tarzan <laughs> comic, and and Dave took a 1941 40, 41 Batman story, and I'll tell you, I. I'm going to get, you know, I'm not going to bury the lead. I got a big kick out of Dave's story. So I'm hoping we're going to get some, yep. some mileage out of that one. Yeah. I put thought but, into it this year. Oh, good, good, good. All right. But well, like good. I said, good. you know, Maybe I mean, let's see if that trial. kicks up the Christmas. <laughs> let's see if that kicks up the Christmas spirit. I say we do Scott's book first because okay. I don't think it's going to generate that much talk. But what I'm going to say about the book that you pick is if I allowed it to, and I will not, but if I allowed it to, it would spark a whole new debate between us about how I really like Joe Hubert's heart and you don't. But that's not this, what you picked in this, because I looked at this, as I paged through this book, I was saying, this art is so pretty. I really like this. It's it's funny you should say that. So while I am, all right, so let, let's, let's get into this proper then. Um, the book that I am bringing is, give me one second, pull up the page here. 
Um, so the book I'm bringing is Tarzan number 207 um, by DC Comics was published. The cover date on this is April 1972. Uh, the on-sale date, uh, on-sale date, according to uh, Mike's Amazing World of Comics, is February 29th, 1972. Uh, cover price was 25 cents. Now, little backstory on this, such as I know. Now, I am no Tarzan expert. I'm no expert on this particular genre or whatever. Um, this whole thing, you can blame Professor Allen because Professor Allen very graciously a while back sent me, um, an issue from this series. I don't recall which issue number it was off the top of my head, but he lit a fire because, okay, it's very well known as, as Paul mentioned, I am not a Joe Kubert fan, but the problem is, is when, whenever I've seen Joe Kubert, it's on something that, um, how do I put this? I was going to say something I care about. That's not quite what I mean, but it's something like, it's like, for example, the best example I can think of is when he was doing covers for all-star squadron. I'm sorry. Those covers were horrible. I just didn't like them because to me, his art style applied to those characters in that genre did not work for me. Um, so, I don't even remember how I picked. I think I just did a word. Yeah, that was it. I did a word search in Mike's Amazing World for stories because you can actually search by story title. I just put in the word Christmas and put in story and it just pulled up a list of Christmas stories. And when I saw a, a story titled Tarzan's First Christmas, I thought, that's probably stupid. Let me pick that. So, so I chose this because I actually own this book as well. But even though it's the text piece in the middle of the book, um, this was DC's first issue of Tarzan, even though the numbering is 207. So the kind of cool thing here was that the book ran for 206 issues under a different publisher. And when DC got the rights to, to take over and start publishing it themselves, they kept the numbering, which is really cool. And I'm really not aware of that happening any other time in comics. I know uh, one. Do you? <laughs> yeah. When Devil's Due took over G.I. Joe from Image, they kept the oh, same okay. numbering. But I mean, is there is there precedent before this with Tarzan that you know of? I wouldn't know of any precedent. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm not. A, I just thought that was really, really cool. You know that that they, you know, continue. Not, and maybe that was, um, maybe that was something that was part of the contract with the the ERB people or something. I I don't know. So maybe it wasn't DC's necessarily their decision or their choice to do it. But I still I mean, think it's cool. Regardless. I mean, the closest thing DC did like that was when uh, they brought the Flash back. They picked up the numbering from Flash right. Comics. Right, right. So the the cover on this, now the cover doesn't bear on the story, but it's just worth noting that the cover does say first DC issue. And the first three or four issues did say, like, in order, said, like, first DC issue, second DC issue, third DC issue. And I think after three, they dropped it. Three or four, I forget. Anyway... Be, you know, I picked this, as I say, after doing a word search and realizing, OK, that I, I really thought the story be funnier or weirder than it is, um, but also because it's a book that I own. So, um, you know, Professor Allen, by sending me that book, kind of lit a fire and I'm like, well, I see these in the, the cheap bins all the time. I'll start collecting them. 
and I've been doing a pretty good job. I, I have a pretty solid collection. I don't have all of them yet, but I've been working on it. Um, but I have not sat down and read any of them until now. And pulling the physical issue out to read this, um, you know, I, I got to say, I really liked the art. And, it, you know, nobody's more shocked about that than I am because I traditionally do not like um, Joe Cooper. But I like this so much that uh, I, I've actually started. I pulled out my whole stack of of all the issues I have so far, and I'm I've started to make my way through them. And I'm only just a couple issues in, but the first I think three three or four issues are a pretty damn faithful adaptation of Tarzan of the Apes, the, the very first book. And the art is really nice. I really enjoyed it, and. Um, the backup feature, at least so far, is John Carter of Mars. The Well, it's actually um, uh, Princess of Mars, the first John Carter book. And the first chapter of that in this issue in 207, oh, my God, is it gorgeous. It's uh, Murphy Anderson is, is the artist. Um, I don't know if he did pencils and inks. It looks like it's all his work, but it is beautiful. I was really sad to see that starting the next issue, though, that it, they switched artists. It's Gray Morrow, who I, I'm kind of hot and cold on Gray Morrow. He's okay. Um, but, man, I, I wish um, Anderson had continued because, wow, that was that really blew me away. So, yeah, um, I ended up really digging yeah, the, the art. The art is, is really solid. Yeah. I, I, would, I would say this is an example, you know, for what your experience is here at least as best as I can tell, it's an example of how you need to do a little bit better than we've actually done in our reviews. We need to do better in judging whether the artist is the right one for the book. Right. Because I do think, I do think there's instances where we haven't liked the art because it was the wrong artist choice for the book, not because the art wasn't good. Right. So, you know, Joe Kubert, obviously, if he's doing, because this this is standard Joe Cubit style. This is not really veering off of what he does. But for your tastes, and somewhat to mine as well, but for your for your tastes, more, even more so than mine, I, obviously he just doesn't fit superhero books. Right. Uh, I I you know, and I think to an extent, I I did like his work on Hawkman. Because I did feel like the feathered look, <laughs> pardon the pun, uh, of his of his art actually fit the you know the wings and everything that the way his that character is drawn. Uh, so I mean I do think he could do superhero stuff, but I do also think that his work on Tarzan and his work on Sergeant Rock yep. is more well suited to his style. Right. So I you know I I could see where. You know, where you were looking at his work on, on uh, you know, uh, basically on, on superhero books and saying, I don't like this. But now, you know, that you, you get a chance to see it on, you know, on, on non-superhero books, you know, maybe it changes your opinion. And, you know, our opinions are always changing. So anybody who listens and says, well, on this episode, you said such and such. Yeah, don't worry about that. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Because we, you know, 20 years ago, I, I, I thought differently than I do now. 10 years ago, I thought differently than I do, do now. And maybe 10 minutes ago, I thought differently than I do now. It happens. 
I was as just long as you remember who you are. I was just looking. You know what? I'm having a tough time with that at, 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 at points. Uh, but maybe uh, maybe you can give us a synopsis of uh, yes. Tarzan's first Christmas. Absolutely. All right. So Tarzan's first Christmas. Again, this is uh, this is the middle chapter of this book, the middle story in this book. It is a text piece um, with very limited uh, artwork in here. The artwork, such as it is, um, is illustrated by Hal Foster, who I don't know that I've had a lot of um, exposure to Hal Foster. I certainly know his reputation. Um, but this may very well be the first Hal Foster I've ever really read. Um, it says here it was from a newspaper strip from December 27th, 1931. So that's kind of cool. So I'm just going to read it. It's very short. So I'm just going to read you the story rather than uh, try to synopsize it or anything like that. So Tarzan's first Christmas. <clears throat> Pardon me. Just, so Scott is reading this. So you don't have to. Yeah, there you go. Are you going to do the yell? No. Uh, in the year before oh, Tarzan was born, before Lady, uh, before Lord and Lady Greystoke had ever left the glistening shores of Mother England, Christmas at Greystoke Manor was celebrated with a gay affair. The lovely red-cheeked women, bedecked in flowing gowns and lavish jewels, danced snugly in the arms of tall men, chatting merrily of the winter season and the happy times at home. But home can be found in many places. Under the high gilded roof of an ancestral manor, or beneath the tree-speckled shadows of the torrid African veldt, Lord Greystoke, heir to the family fortune, now sits beside his hand-built cabin, carving a small wooden toy for his infant son. Even here, deep within the African darkness, the spirit of Christmas spreads its own special kind of joy. Christmas morning woke with a gentle shrug as Lord and Lady Greystoke gave, uh, give the infant Tarzan the toy his father had carved. The baby holds it tight in his hands, smiling at this his first Christmas present. Lord Greystoke sits back, satisfied with the progress his infant son has made. It has not been easy to raise a young child in the wild, uncivilized jungle, but the young Tarzan seems healthy and happy. He laughs as his mother swings him high in the air and giggles contentedly as they cry, Merry Christmas! Such is the joy this Christmas morning that not even the harsh-toned growls of Numa the lion can silence their voices raised in Christmas carols. Lord Greystoke hunted well the night before, and the delicious aroma of roasted wild pig fills the cabin walls. Lady Greystoke set the table simply, hardly remembering... Uh, the, ha the lavish settings from the Christmas before. The baby Tarzan crawls on all fours across the cabin floor, and tiny hands reach towards him, uh, towards his swaying crib. Look, he swings like a monkey, Lord Greystoke laughs. And walks like a man, his mother says, as the baby toddles toward her, taking his first unsure steps. Lady Greystoke is overjoyed as he walks, measuring each step carefully, and Lord Greystoke sits calmly in his chair, watching the joy on his wife's lovely face. Their year in the jungle has taken a hard toll on her, and he was pleased that she could still laugh. Outside the window, Kerchak, the great ape, listens. Kerchak has come close to the strange cabin in the jungle several times before, studying the frail, hairless apes who dwell within. 
He will be patient, Kurchak thought to himself. Soon he will drive these strange apes out of his jungle. Tarzan's parents forget all the other Christmases in their joy and pride of this one with their baby boy, a boy who will grow up to be the son of the great she-ape Kala, an heir to the title of Lord of the Jungle. And that's it. Now, I liked this. It's it's short. It's uh, it's sweet. However, <laughs> I have some issues with this. So for one thing, I don't think the timeline of it works. Um, Philip Jose Farmer uh, theorized that uh, that Tarzan was actually born on November 27th of I forget what year. He's, I want to say 1888, something like that. So if that's true, um, the timeline of this that totally doesn't work because he would either be a little over a month old or he would be 13 months old. Well, he his mother uh, actually dies on his first birthday as well as his father. So that timeline doesn't work. Also, as kind of sweet and everything as this is on the surface of, you know, them and, you know, making the best of their horrible situation and, you know, having a Christmas and all this. Um, it's important to remember that Lady Greystoke was pretty much out of her mind at this point due to things that had happened to them while they were living in the jungle. And right around the corner, um, Lord Greystoke is going to be ripped to shreds by apes. I so, hate when that happens. Yeah, you know, so it's it's not as sweet as it seems to be on the surface of it. It's kind of sad. But the thing that really surprised me about this was, now I read this story first because I chose it for the show. So when the baby is walking and swinging on his crib and playing with toys and just drawn to be as old as he was, I was thinking, wait, this, that can't be, this can't be a canon story because he wasn't that old. But then reading the first story in the book, which is the first chapter of the adaptation, it actually does say that it's been a year since the baby was born when the attack comes, when when Lady Greystoke dies and then the apes attack the cabin and kill Lord Greystoke. So he was a year old. So I did some further research. And this is accurate to the book, which I read as a kid a long time ago, so I couldn't remember. So I was gleaning my knowledge from my favorite film adaptation, which is uh, Greystoke, Lord of the Jungle, um, with um, Chris Lambert, which is a great movie. But in that, he's an infant. You don't don't prefer the the Bo Derrick version? I don't know. Oh, I I prefer the Bo Bo Derrick version. Well, also in the... It's good if you like soft core. (laughs) I've only ever seen the Disney one one time, but again, he was an infant in that one, too. So I can only theorize that these days, whenever they tell the origin of him, that whoever makes those decisions, that they agree with me that it works better the younger he is. Because by one year old, I'm thinking... 
he's not going to adapt with to life with the apes. I mean, that's already a stretch to begin with, you know, the whole origin of Tarzan. But I think it's a little more palatable and a little more, quote unquote, believable if he's an infant that has no memory of his parents, who has no he he hadn't begun to even become a human baby yet if you know what i'm what i mean you know he he hadn't begun to walk he hadn't begun to talk he hadn't begun to to learn anything of human society he was just simply a a baby and so when kala comes along and takes him and and raises him up i I just find that scenario more believable than him actually being a a one-year-old who I, I would imagine is on the verge of speaking. And it says here he's he's walking and able to, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I just, I find it more believable uh, with him being, you know, very young as opposed to a one-year-old. Anyway, I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> In all seriousness, I've never seen a Tarzan movie, not even the Disney one, other yeah. than the old, old ones. With, was it Johnny Weissmuller? Right, right. The black and white pictures. Other than that, I've never seen... A Disney, uh, the Disney one or the Bo Derek one, or but I did know about the Bo Derek one. I'll, I'll recommend two of them to you because I mean, this is going to make me. I, I don't want to become the Tarzan guy on the show because I don't know shit about the character, honestly. Hey, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. <laughs> but I, I'll recommend two two of them to you. Um, Greystoke, um, 1983 or four, um, with Chris Lambert, the Highlander. The Highlander plays Tarzan. Right. Oh my God, excellent movie. Ian Holm is in it. Um, great movie, and I, I've just always enjoyed that. Not because necessarily because it's a Tarzan movie, just because it's a damn good movie, a very good movie. I, I think you'd really dig it. Um, there's a fun connection between it and the Disney Tarzan. So the the woman that plays Jane is uh, Andy McDowell. They dubbed her voice. Her voice was dubbed by Glenn Close. Glenn Close was the voice of Kala in the Disney Tarzan movie. Oh, that's funny. Kind of cool connection. I've, I've um, the other one the, I'd recommend. Uh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I've seen the Disney one many times when my kids were young. That was when that first came out on DVD. And that was a, you know, a movie that we watched a lot of times. The, uh, I, I don't know how faithful it is to the book. I've never read the book. I, I haven't seen. You are the Tarzan expert of our group for what it's <laughs> worth. Uh, but but I found that one to be very entertaining. Uh, I think the voice work is good. I think the animation is excellent. And I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I also think the Phil Collins uh, soundtrack is, is very enjoyable. Uh, a lot of Absolutely. very catchy tunes. Absolutely. I cannot listen to um, what's that song? Um, you'll be in my heart. I cannot hear that song without starting to ball because I used to sing that to Logan when he was just a baby. So yeah, whenever it comes on and either of us hears it, we message the other one. <laughs> so to this day, we do that. Um, yeah, I like that movie a lot. I don't, I don't think I've ever sat through it from start to finish more than once. I, I probably am overdue to watch it again, but I remember really liking it. Um, it's weird because it's sort of faithful to the book, except Tarzan himself is more of, um, he's more of what people think Tarzan is as opposed to how he actually is in the, in the source material, if you know what I mean. So it's kind of like that Captain Kirk syndrome of like in Star Trek 2009, 
Kirk actually so you, more like what people he, think Kirk is as opposed to what Kirk actually is. He's more civilized than he is in the books. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, he's more of me, Tarzan, you, Jane, because he never actually says that in the book. He's not stupid. I mean, all. I would say that all the time. <laughs> he's but, he's uh, actually no, no, but I, I, he's not portrayed in the in the animated film as being stupid. He's just not educated in you know the civilized ways, and right. he learn he learns from Jane, and he learns how to speak, and you know, and the. I, I I find that version to be actually very entertaining. I, that's you know that was during a, a period of time where I didn't think Disney animated could do any wrong. Right. Uh, you know, and and I, I've since unfortunately had that era end on ser- several movies that I didn't like what <laughs> that they came up with. But that's that's a story for another day. And just as as a side note, uh, we are talking about doing a retrospective on a lot of Disney animated. Uh, stuff yeah. and Scott's going to be on those on it on is it yours so yeah, something for you to look forward to if you were a big Disney animated fan absolutely so yeah. have you seen any of those old ones from like the 40s the 30s as a kid as a kid but I don't remember them very well um the other one I was going to recommend to you real quick is um it's a it's a very recent one I forget the exact year but it's it was really recent as a matter of fact if if memory serves, Paul, when we did that expedition into New York the first time, I think we saw billboards uh, or like like the what do you call it? The Trinitron or whatever on Times Square, I think, was showing ads for um, the it's oh God. What is the name of that movie? It's Tarzan. Legend of Tarzan. That's it. The Legend of Tarzan. It stars one of the Scars guards. I can't forget it. I can't remember his first name. He's um, I think he's one of the sons of the guy that plays. Um, man, my brain's not firing tonight. From the, the guy from Thor. From Thor. Yeah. The, the scientist, crazy scientist guy from Thor. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I think it's one of his sons, um, but he plays Tarzan. Um, Margot Robbie is Jane. Um, Samuel Jackson is in it. It's, I thought it was fantastic. It is so, it's funny because it's not an adaptation of any one of the specific books, but they nail the feel of those books and the era and everything because it's, it, it, it kind of takes for granted that you already know at least a little something about Tarzan. So it's not an origin story. It actually starts in England where he's already been living in the civilized world and has to go back to Africa for this particular adventure. It's, it's good. It damn good movie. Um, I yeah, don't think it's, it did. Uh, I, I looked it up quickly and it doesn't appear to be streaming anywhere. It came out in 2016. It stars Alexander Skarsgård as Tarzan Christopher Waltz as uh, Captain Leon Rom, uh, Samuel Jackson as George Washington Williams, Margot, Margot Robbie as Jane Porter. Um, it's an hour and 49 minutes, PG-13. And it again, it doesn't appear to be streaming anywhere, unfortunately. There's places where you can buy it to stream, but I don't right. think there's anywhere where it's part of the package that you can rent i discovered Uh, that one because it was on you know those dump bins that they often have at walmart and they've got movies for like three or four dollars or something like that i found it there and just took a gamble on it and bought it on uh on i don't know dvd i think 
and loved it and then um, found out that they had released it on uh, Blu-ray in 3D. So I tracked down another copy and watched it again. And it's it's decent 3D. I wouldn't say it was a mind-blowing 3D movie, but the movie itself I thought was fantastic. I, I, I really... Yeah, I'd highly recommend that one if if you're at all interested in the subject, because um, it it just it feel it's I would I would put it akin to one of the Marvel you know the better Marvel movies like say like a Phase Two Marvel movie in that it's not a direct adaptation of anything but man does it nail the character like it feels like you know faithful to the character in, in the world he operates in so yeah I, I enjoyed that a lot. But uh, but yeah, you know, this this was a simple little thing, but uh, I'm really glad that I didn't just read the text piece and then just throw it aside because I've been meaning to start reading these issues um, now that I've amassed so many of them. And, and now that I read this and really, really enjoyed it, um, I'm going to continue on because, uh, yeah, this this finally I finally found something where I can. Um, I can see in Kubert what other people have always said. And I, I just was failing to see and appreciate um, his style totally works for, for this world and this character. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, was really well done. So yeah, I, I was digging it, but that's, uh, that's my Christmas contribution such as it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a fun little tale. It would have been better <laughs> if you did the, uh, no. <laughs> well, you could do the, the yell is like the way, you know, the other things. The, <laughs> kind of combination of Chewbacca and your goodbye. <laughs> We're not going to rate this, right? No, it's. We have no good. artwork. We have no artwork, we have no cover, we have a story. And the story is, you know, eh, this is <laughs> the problem the problem I have with the story, just to go in, is you know, we started off this episode talking about how we're not really in the Christmas spirit just yet. That story did nothing to get me in the Christmas spirit. <laughs> so He said oh. thank you. Failed miserably. You are failing. I am failing. Ah, oh, all right, well, Screw you. <laughs> and your lovely family as well. Thank you so much. I so tried. I didn't right. try very hard, but I tried. That's all that matters. <laughs> I tried. I didn't try very hard. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of people. Quote, that's, that's the quote that they're going to put on my gravestone one day. <laughs> I didn't really try very there. hard. <laughs> He didn't even bring a book. You know what? That that could be your savings grace here. Yeah, you didn't try very hard, but you tried harder than me. You could say, at least I brought a book. At least I brought a book. That's probably what it's going to say on mine. At least I brought a book. <laughs> All right, so, Dave. All right, Dave. It's up, to you, it's up to you. Did, you got to you know save what I, this. You know what? I was going to say this. The title of this episode is How Dave Saved Christmas. Oh, <laughs> I think Christmas is doomed. Okay. I have brought, which apparently is the first Christmas story published by DC. Whoa. Supposedly. I saw it on Facebook, so 
It must be true. <laughs> I bring to you from Batman number nine, not the new 52 number nine, the 1941 number nine. Actually, this is cover dated February, March 1942. On sale December 10th, 1941. And it sold for a whopping price of 10 cents. All that is courtesy of Mike's Amazing World. The title is just Christmas. It's Christmas time. Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson take some presents to the Gotham Orphanage. There they notice a tiny child named Tim Cratchit (sighs) being picked on (laughs) for believing in Santa Claus. That's what sold me on this when I saw the kid's name was Tiny Tim Cratchit. Uh, Bruce inquires about the boy and learns that he has a father, but his father's in prison and claims to have been framed. How convenient. As they are leaving, Tim asks Bruce to mail a letter to Santa. In the letter, all Tim asks is for his father's return. Bruce decides that Batman will be playing Santa. After meeting with Commissioner Gordon, Batman and Robin arrive at Gotham State Penitentiary, where... Bob Cratchit tells his story. How great would it have been if he stole coal and that's why he got locked up? In desperation to get a scooter for Tim last Christmas, he tried to steal one, but stumbled into a burglary. Knocked unconscious by the real thief, he was blamed for the guard's murder. I don't know many toy stores that have armed guards, but it is the 40s. The gun used was traced to a petty thief named Hal Fink, who claimed Cratchit was his roommate and stole the gun. Batman goes to confront Fink, who is warned by the clanging bell of a Santa, who is acting as a lookout. Batman and Robin fight Fink's gang, but are captured. The duo were dumped inside the water tower on top of the building and left to drown. Batman takes off his cape and uses it to seal the water intake pipe, preventing the tank from filling with water. Lucky for them, there's an overflowing sink that's emptying the tank. The dynamic duo escapes. Batman and Robin follow the gang. But once more, the gang is warned by Santa ringing his bell. Using snowballs, Batman and Robin beat Fink and his men. Fink is taken to the police, but with no evidence of his crimes, they return with him to the scene of the murder to reenact the events of a year ago. The scene is set exactly as it was on the night of the murder, even with Fink being given the loaded murder weapon. Suddenly, as the clock strikes 12, a ghostly visage of the murdered god enters and accuses Fink of killing him. Fink believes that it's a stunt, but when no one else sees the ghost, he starts panicking and conveniently reveals his crime before Commissioner Gordon. 
Batman takes off the ghost costume, and then he takes down the criminal. On Christmas Eve, Batman confronts the criminal street Santa and enlists him to participate in the crack in the Cratchit Christmas reunion, providing to the orphan, proving to the orphans that Santa does exist. Even Santa vows to Batman as a result of this to go straight. Before the night ends, Batman and Robin go to Commissioner Gordon's home, where Gordon and Linda Page are waiting for them near a big Christmas tree. Robin is glad to share this moment, and Batman tells him that Santa Claus is very real, if we believe. Robin responds, and I quote, This almost does make me believe in Santa Claus, even though I know he's not real. Thank you, Robin, for ruining Christmas for (laughs) children all over the world. In the end, the fourth wall is broken. And everyone wishes the reader a Merry Christmas. Was this a great Christmas story or what? Oh, man. This uh, was a fun Christmas story. It was I'm, fun. I, I don't, it you know, if fun. you guys disagree, that's oh, fine. No. But I, I thought <laughs> no, it was I, a barrel of laughs. It is, it is fun, but I, I just, I have questions. Um, so on the very last panel end of the book why does nobody notice that commissioner gordon is a scrawl now i had no idea who linda page was i I never heard her up so i look yeah i looked her up too apparently she was bruce's squeeze at this time Um, i think it's it's his second squeeze it was another girl in the earlier book. Oh yeah, um, wasn't she an actress? Yeah, yeah. She's like a social worker or something. This one, I think. Yeah. She's not uh, that bright if she doesn't know that that's Bruce Wayne under the mask. She's not particularly attractive either. She's she's got a very manly face. <laughs> she's a man, baby. Yeah, <laughs> it's very possible. And why are these two spending Christmas together? Um, all right. So two, two, two other quick questions here. Um, who wrote this? Do we know who wrote this? I don't think it's said on Mike's Amazing World. I thought it was Charles Dickens. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. He well, let's, let's, address, let's address that first. The Charles Dickens thing. So I looked it up real quick because I was just curious. I was thinking. All right, today, A Christmas Carol is considered to be a classic, and I know that the story's been around for something like 150 years, but I was thinking, all right, well, maybe in 1941, maybe it just by wasn't the, that big of a thing. By this time, there but, were movie versions of it already. Yeah, the 11, version was out. 11 movies had been made about A Christmas Carol by 1941, including the 1938 Reginald Owen, which is a classic, so... Yeah, no. There's no Wait, way to get away with calling eleven. Yes. What they put one out a year? <laughs> Just about. There's one in 1901, 1908, 1910, 1913, 1914, 16, 22, 23, 28, and 35. Ike. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like Disney with the Star Wars movies. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So. 
even on the off chance that Batman just was having a brain fart, he'd never actually read A Christmas Carol, he didn't even know who Charles Dickens was, I find it hard to believe that that just through pop culture osmosis, he'd never heard the name either Bob Cratchit or Tiny Tim Cratchit. Come on. Come on. Maybe, maybe there was no Charles Dickens in the DC universe, and yeah. there is no. Maybe. Ultimately, why, though? This is not a Christmas carol. At, I mean, thank God. It's not like, you know, the Teen Titans groovy Christmas or whatever the hell that story was called with with Mr. Scrounge or whatever his name. I mean, I, thank God it wasn't that. But still, if you're not going to do that, then why even borrow those character names in the first place? It makes no sense. My bigger issue is... um. So Batman and Robin, um, oh shit, the pages aren't numbered. Uh, it's the third page of the story. Well, actually, it's after the title page. You've got second page of the story after um, Bruce reads the kid's note. By the way, you know the, the kid handed Bruce the thing and asked him to mail it. He didn't ask him to read it. So I think this is against the law to read other people's mail. But anyway, um, they're leaving, and, and Batman says to Robin, he says, uh, our first stop is the state prison. Next panel, they're at the prison. It says, still later, the office of police commissioner Gordon. And the commissioner greets them, and Batman says, I'd like to speak to a prisoner, Bob Cratchit. Since when the hell is the police commissioner's office at the state prison? He's not a warden. I took it that, you know, like Gordon made a call, and he went up to the prison, and, oh, yeah, we'll let you in. Some nut in a costume wants to see Bob Cratchit. That's kind of what I thought as well. Okay. All right. I'll I'll, I'll take that no prize, I guess. But it just... And also, remember, at this point, as we've already discussed previously, he's a deputized officer of the law now, Batman. Right. I just... I, I I took Batman at his word that when he said our first stop is the state prison, that he went directly to the prison... In which case, um, that was my that was the thing that I'm like, why is the commissioner at the at the prison? He's not the warden. You know what it's like? It's like when your wife tells you, Scott, we're going to go to the supermarket and then we'll come home. And then you get in the car and you wind up going to 15 places (laughs) before you get to the supermarket. (laughs) You just described my last two weekends. Yes. Welcome to the club. No, no, C.A. I think it's more like you go to 15 different places, then you go home, and your wife says, oh, could you go to the supermarket? Now, <laughs> <laughs> now one thing I, I really... I, I got a big kick out of this thing. I, I, you know, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were done with your notes. I was going to go into No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So let's see what we got here. Uh, first, I started with the splash page, and uh, and ev- everybody's kind of like a little weird in it to me. You got a, you got a beefy Batman. You have Robin, who looks like an elf. You have uh, Bob Cratchit, who looks like Walt Disney, and you have yes. and you have Santa, who looks like he should be one of these people who hasn't left his house in fifteen years because he's too fat. <laughs> then we, we, you know, moving on to the second page, you know, every look at all these people shopping on Christmas Eve. So they're all right off the bat, they're all stupid because they wait till Christmas Eve to do their shopping. And and anybody who listens who does who doesn't 
shop before Christmas Eve. What the hell are you thinking? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, <laughs> that I'm, always seemed to be a trope, though, in the 1940s. On Christmas Eve, everyone was out shopping. So the last thing I want to do is be in the store shopping on Christmas Eve. But that's just me. It's interesting to me how there's a lack of backgrounds on virtually every panel. Uh, but I guess that's a style of the day. And I think that kind of comes from that they're still adapting themselves from like the Sunday funnies and, and that type of thing into the actual comic book world. So I think, you know, the, the art has to still, you know, develop over time. And I don't think they've gotten there yet. Uh, what's his name? Uh Tim Cratchit looks like Robin to me, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and, and and this other kid who was bullying him, I just kept thinking Draco Malfoy. Um, <laughs> and then Batman kicks the shit out of him. Then we, we go to uh, oh, on that page when he's bullying him, the bottom middle panel. It looks like uh, the Malfoy kid could, should be asking Santa for uh, some sort of surgery to relocate his jaw. That's, that's out like of place. <laughs> the so we cut to santa and it reminds me of when uh when he's warning them and all and i'm looking at his face he reminds me of when ed asna played santa in the movie elf <laughs> uh I, I found it very very amusing the whole uh you know ink in the face thing with with the guy and that that ends up being why he uses up the water which ends up freeing them from uh the water tower from from the water tower, tower yeah. yeah uh and i have something here i wrote nimble brained robin and i'm trying to think what what i, what I meant there i don't even remember <laughs> i hate when i make notes and i don't remember them uh actually it's it's still while they're fighting it you know i'm thinking okay. with the oh go ahead sorry i just just i, I thought it was funny that you know Batman got involved in a, a pillow fight in here uh, to save Robin, and, and, and his his aim is is impeccable uh, as as a uh, as a pillow thrower. Uh, then we have you know they're they're in the the whole death trap they put in was reminiscent to me of what they eventually did in the '66 TV yeah. series. You know, it's like well, you know, just just shoot them. Why you know why are we doing this? Uh, <laughs> Batman goes underwater to, uh, to to block that train pipe, and he's actually talking while he's under the water. It's not, there's no thought balloon there. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, one of my favorite tropes in comics of all, all the time that I always complain about is the mask over a mask. When when Batman is playing the ghost, and he takes off the mask, and he's got his Batman mask <laughs> underneath it, it's just just dopey looking. That's my notes. So now we can move on. <laughs> I think it was fun. It was a it lot was of fun. fun. It was fun. I I got a big kick out of reading this. You know, I I, I my notes are based on trying to be amusing, trying to be a wise ass, and some actual observations. But uh, but I I really did enjoy this. I got a big kick out of it, and it, and it did give me a little bit of the you know Batman wanting to be Santa Claus basically. That he, you know, he heard this kid's Christmas wish, and he's trying to make it come true. And it, it you know, it, it let him be, excuse me, it let him be sort of Batman the detective, which I always like when they play into that a little bit. 
you know, ultimately the playing a ghost, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if that was the best plan ever, but you know, it worked. And uh, I didn't mind the ratchet aspect of it. That didn't bother me. The I name, mean, we, name drop. We even got the, and God bless us, everyone. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big I'm a big Christmas Carol fan, so I'm I'm okay with it. <laughs> that was it was cute. It was, you know, it, it when I read a Christmas comic book, I either want something poignant or I want fun. It's one or the other. So this this one was you know pretty much mostly fun. You know, I, I think they were trying for a little bit of poignant, but I don't think they I don't know if they hit that. Well, maybe the sensibilities back then too. You know, it's. Well, you, you also got to take into account the audience they're playing to. They're not playing to, you know, middle-aged and older people. They're playing to, you know, this is meant to be read by a kid who's like ten years old, maybe. That's if true. that. So that you know, you true. you got to keep that in mind. The, the, you know, these these books were not meant for older people until now, at least into the <laughs> mid '60s. And, and even then, when I say older people, I'm talking about, like, college students. I'm still not talking about us. Oh, I thought you meant people in their mid-60s. <laughs> well, now, you know, now they're making stories that are, <laughs> you know, they, they know their audience is aged, and they're making stories that are, are designed for for the older people. And the funny thing is, uh, we've rejected that and said, no, no, I want to read the old stuff <laughs> that was meant for, like, nine- and ten-year-olds. Well, that's frankly how I came across this one. It's um, that's what I was up to in my reading project. I read this about a month ago, and I was I got a kick out of it. It's a simpler time. Yep. There's something uh, I don't know what the not sentimental, but there's just something like that feeling that it was a simpler time and wholesome. Wholesome. Yeah, that's yeah. really it. And you think about. This came out December 10th, 1941, three days after Pearl Harbor. Right. Yep. It's a, true. I just I just picture being at the newsstand with a child and think and, and the kid saying, can I have a dime to buy this comic? And you, you're thinking, what the hell is wrong with you, kid? The world is coming to an end. <laughs> Don't We're bother me for a dime. Boy. Go sign up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you yeah. know, I mean, just just you know, the closest thing we have to Pearl Harbor is the you know Trade Center, uh, and uh, I, I just remember the feeling, you know, the days after that, and I can only imagine after Pearl Harbor it was a similar feeling. Uh, the only difference, you know, is at, at least for Dave and I, you know, both living in the area where it happened, I think you know, it was a little bit more immediate for us right. than Pearl Harbor would have been. You know, with where that occurred. Uh, but the whole country had to be kind of numb when this came out. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would expect so. It had to be terrifying. You know, because in, in that instance, you know, a, a huge portion of you know, America's defense had suddenly been destroyed. And not only had the nation been attacked, like what happened with, with 9-11, but 
the the you know one of the major mechanisms to defend the country was the thing that got attacked and destroyed. That that had to be terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely. And well, I hope this story at the time brought a little bit of cheer into some child's eye. <laughs> But, you no, know, it ruined and, it and, and for I, them because I think, Robin spoils that there's no Santa Claus. Yes. <laughs> they needed a better editor. Was I think it's, it's – who the hell was the editor back then? You know, it would be very interesting to, to look at future issues and see if they caught any flack for that in the letters page. At this point, there's no letters page. There's, oh, really? There's text pieces – and right. there's, you know, BS, but there was no letters page at this point. Huh. So I don't know where that is going to kick in. But there is a committee that's supposed to be overseeing these uh, books. Right. Led, led by, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Who's the guy who invented Wonder Woman? Oh, uh, um, Charles Alton Marston. Right. Talks He's one of the People making sure the values of the comics. Yeah, because his, his values were so strong. <laughs> he lived with his girlfriend and his wife and a couple other women. He's the oh, guy. Family values. Family values, guys. It says here that the editor was Mort Weisinger. Really? I didn't, yeah. I didn't figure that would even be before his time. Man, just mentioning how old was he? (laughs) Talk about holding on to the job like the Pope. Yeah, he was like, well, you know, it was was FDR time. (laughs) Yeah, just mentioned him on Facebook the other day that DC sure could use somebody like him again these days. I don't know how (laughs) popular or unpopular an opinion that would be, but. What years was he doing the Superman books? Was it the 60s? Uh, I want to say he started doing them in the 50s, I think. Uh, let's see. Earliest Superman, or yeah, so earliest Superman book I see him credited with is uh, Action Comics 119 in 1948. So yeah, leading into the 50s. But yeah, pretty much all through the 50s. Right up to, uh, let's see, what's his last? 1970 is his last credit. And then what Julie Schwartz takes over. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That is such a long time. That's a pretty sweet spot, though. I mean, a lot of the the elements of the Superman mythos that that we consider to be Superman these days come from him. Um, Because I've been experiencing that on the on the read through that I'm doing of Superman is that. um, I don't know, I'm just I'm right now I'm at 1943, so I got a ways to go before I well, five years to go before I hit the the Weisinger era. It's looking like here and I'm just wondering what what did they do in that time? You know, who who was the character in that time? And it's it's been interesting to read because it's. You know, I'm more used to Silver Age 
you know, if, you know, you're talking pre-crisis Superman, then I'm more used to the Silver Age version where it's the Fortress of Solitude and Supergirl and Crypto and the and the Phantom Zone and, and none of that shit exists at this point. It's it's really weird. It's he's he's facing weird scientists and gangsters and you know I th- you I know. think I think you're on to something though. I think we should periodically do an episode where we do a Golden Age spotlight. And we, we, you know, yeah, we're still going to do random books, but we're going to do books that are between, you know, 1939 and 1950. Right. And pick, I am you know, so glad about that. So, I, I, you know, if, if anybody listening to this has an opinion on it, put it on the Facebook page. Let us know what you think. Uh, you know, yes, I'd like to hear you guys do that, or please don't do that. I'm going to skip those episodes. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever your opinion is, let us know. But I think it would be kind of cool to look at it and say, you know, okay, in, in you know, in 1945 or in 1953, this is what Captain America was like. Especially, you know, like just in Captain America, in the era when he was supposed to be replaced by, you know, a substitute Captain America. How were those comics? Because, you know, they did that was a retcon anyway. So I'd be curious to see that. Or like you say, Superman, before they developed all this mythos, you know, what were we getting there? And, and you know, what was right. the character like? What was his personality? Uh, you know, and, and we're going to deal with stuff if we do that, where we're looking at books that are certainly intended for people who are, you know, 10, 10 years old or so. But I think we can still look at them intelligently and, and kind of come up with what, you know. What were they doing? What was the state of the books at that time? So I think it'd be kind of cool if every once in a while we just do an episode and we say, let's, let's, you know, let's go to the golden age. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Anyway. I I would definitely be down for that. Yeah. I would too. And, 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 you know, I mean, there, there are copies of these stories available online. So we, you know, we, we can definitely read some of them and do this. So it's something to keep in mind. See, now I just want to throw out a, a complaint, a, a bitch about DC. I've been buying those omnibuses, the Golden Age Superman, you know, big hardcover books where it Not has every bike. story. They get up to volume seven of the Golden Age. And just as an example, the last volume goes up to Action Comics 143, right? Right. Now they come out with volume one of the Silver Age, starting at Action Comics 241. Why don't they just finish one thing <laughs> and then move on? Couldn't couldn't tell you. Yeah, I I don't know why they do stuff like that. Go reprint what they've already published. Yeah. I'm kind of okay with them doing that as long as they do finish the other stuff. See, but I don't think they're going to finish it. That's the problem. That I would, I'm, I'm on board with you with the complaint there. If if it's like, okay, you know, we, we started from, you know, 1939 and we're going to work our way through. But while we're doing that, we're also going to start at 1965 and work our way through that or whatever. That's okay. But don't stop and leave all the in-between stuff out. And it's, 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 well over there's a hundred action comic book 98 issues of action comics now between these two series that i don't think we'll ever get 
Meanwhile, we've gone through the same material in the archives, in the chronicles, and now in this. I do think that there's an element where there's enthusiasm to buy the early ones, and then that enthusiasm steadily decreases as they get into the further volumes. Right. So I liked I, I, I liked know. the Chronicles series. I liked that because they were they were publishing the stories in chrono, you know in publishing order, and I, I thought that was a cool. So I wish I'd kept up with collecting those because I had uh, just about all the ones that they put out for Superman, and then I, I stopped collecting them, and then I ended up selling them, and I think I took a I think I took a hit on them, frankly, which really yeah, but they, they stopped at like eight or something like that. Yeah. And this is the same thing. They're big hardcover books. It's like maybe four of the Chronicles in one, but it's the same concept. Every single story in the order was published. But now I'm annoyed because I feel they're not going to finish it. Hmm. Yeah, then I, they'll go into the Bronze Age. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they do stuff. Like, it is irritating. You're right. And they don't understand why people get stuff from other sources. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so let's rate this book. Dave, you're up. Ah, for me, I love this book. I mean, I, I hang on, let me just look at the picture here. Give me a second. I wasn't prepared. The, uh, hang on. Come on. <laughs> Technology, my friends. Well, I don't really know if you can rate the cover because I don't think it has anything to do with the story. story it doesn't, that but, but, but this is one of the single most iconic covers yes. you're ever going to see. So in that case, we'll rate it. I would, have, I would rate this an A. A plus. And, and, and for the you know listening audience, if you don't have this in front of you, this is the very frequently seen cover with uh, Batman and Robin standing in the spotlight circle with the yellow light focused on them and them looking towards the light with a black background around them. I've seen this picture a million times, so it is certainly iconic. Yeah, it's been used in many, many other sources. The... Um the story artwork, even considering it for the time, and you know I always say for the time, it's a little shaky. But, uh, I mean, giving it a bit of a break because of the year it was written, and I would give the art a C plus. The story I, I did enjoy, that's what sold me on this. I got a kick out of the... All the parallels, to not really parallels, but more like name dropping from A Christmas Carol with the Cratchits, with the uh, God Bless Us Everyone, to the, uh, you know, the, almost a little bit of the hokiness of where the bad guy's name is Fink. Uh, <laughs> and even though Robin ruined Santa Claus and Christmas forever... It's a great story. I'm going to give the story an A. And if you don't like that, they'll be calling your stocking. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, I'm going to give the book uh, a solid B+. It's the art that pulls it down. See, I think this is a story slash book 
where the total exceeds the sum of its parts, with the exception of the cover, which I feel is truly iconic. Uh, and as you mentioned, Dave, is nothing has nothing to do with the story that we read. Uh, it's really more or less a poster image. Uh, but the story itself, I feel like the artwork. I agree with you. It's it's yeah, it's it's a little subpar even for the era. It's not terrible, but it's it's not. I've seen better art in this era. So I'm going to say I'm going to agree with you as a C plus on it. Uh, the story itself, it's hokey. It's silly. It, it has points in it where you scratch your head and say, what the hell? How, how is this guy ringing his bell where it says the Batman is here? You know, is, is, was there a specific code for that that he was given? Is, is he doing Morse code? What's he doing? Morse code. Yeah. yeah. So exactly. There's just, just a lot of silly things in here. Uh, and and. You know, overall, I think, you know, they, they win a snowball fight. That's how they beat the villains. I mean, it's it's dopey. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a C plus on the story, too. But when I put it together and I read it, I just had a heck of a good time. So even though it's a C plus and a C plus for the story and the art, I'm going to give it a B plus for the, for the overall because it it exceeds the sum of its parts. I agree with that. Yeah, I love the love the cover on this. I, I you know the cover doesn't really lend into the story uh, per se because it has nothing to do with the Christmas story. But this is an iconic cover, um, just a fantastic one. Um, yeah, um, I, I don't know what else you could say. It's uh, it is a great one. I, I would say an A on the cover. I really really like that image. Uh, very well drawn. That's uh, Jack Burnley uh, is the artist on that. Um, interior art on this particular story on the Christmas story in here. Um, I am usually, um, uh, an easy mark for Bob Kane. I've always liked Bob Kane's Batman, but this is not particularly good. And of course he had a lot of, uh, of ghost artists working for him. So this may or may not actually be Kane himself, but. Yeah, I found the the art for this particular one is very weak. It's very inconsistent. The the character models are often really weird. Batman himself generally looks pretty good, although he does look he looks odd a lot of the times. He's either really kind of beefy or he's just like super over muscled. So it's it's kind of weird. Um, but there are there were a couple instances. I really like the the moment with. Uh, with Batman's cape where he's punching the guy and he says, Robin, it looks like uh, we've got a real fight on our hands. Just the way he's, he's keeping his cape out of his way as he's punching the guy. That's neat. I don't think I've ever seen that before. And I thought that was kind of interesting that, um, you know, whoever's illustrating this is, is paying attention to how the cape would actually move. And the fact that, um, you know, being a crime fighter with a cape probably would be a pain in the ass. You know, occasionally you, you would imagine uh, it might actually get in your way and hinder you. And I, I like here that, you know, Batman's it, it kind of gives the impression like he's holding it out of his way. And I thought that was kind of cool. It's kind of interesting. Um, I like the death trap sequence. I thought that was pretty neat. Um, so art wise, eh, it, it's I'm, I'm going to say a C minus on the art. Um I, you know, it's it's not horrible, but it's I mean, I've seen so much better by, you know, presumably if this if this is actually Bob Kane, um, I've definitely seen better. So um, it was all right. 
and then the story um I don't know. It's I mean it's it's dopey. The the only thing I honestly didn't like about the story really was uh, was the use of the Christmas Carol character names. I, I just I don't ultimately don't see the point of it, and I think it makes Batman look a little stupid when he never even comments on the fact that what an amazing coincidence it is that this guy's name is Bob Cratchit with a, a son named Tim. You know, it's not supposed I, to be a coincidence. Right. It's just yeah. Supposed to be those are the names. And, and and I think Dave hit it on the head. In this particular existence, A Christmas Carol was never written by Charles Dickens. I, I guess. It would have been great if he had broken into the the Scrooge Coal Company. Right. <laughs> well, I kept waiting for there to be a character. I thought maybe the guy that was that was trying to set him up would end up being named Scrooge or something. So maybe, maybe he was originally, and they were like, no, this is a bridge too far. Right. But then they call him Fink. So I don't know. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a little dopey, but is it fun? Yes, I had a who uh, reading it. I thought it, I I did think it was a lot of fun, and I thought it had some real heart to it. So you know, I'll forgive uh, a lot of things if I had fun with it and and enjoyed it on some aspect, and I, I enjoyed you know where its heart was at kind of thing. So um, you know, great on the story. I will say a. Uh, I'll say a B plus, um, but overall grade on it, I, I think I'll give an overall grade of a, of a B plus to, you know, to it as, overall as a story, as an issue. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. This is one of the better Christmas ones we've had, I think. See, Honestly. so Dave brought us Christmas cheer as he go. sang loud for all to hear. Dave saved Christmas. <laughs> Today's the day that Dave saved Christmas. Aww. So now... If you've listened to this episode on December 23rd, you're free to go out and enjoy the next two days. <laughs> All thanks to me. If you're listening to this after Christmas, you kind of blew it because you let, you know, now you're looking at Christmas of 2025 before Dave can bring a smile to your face. <laughs> <laughs> so, and on that note... <laughs> what, what is it? Uh, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Merry Christmas. God bless us all. Everyone. <laughs> Goodbye. Go. <laughs> He's got to get back to the facility now. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>